0: Unwise girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today we're continuing The Mark of Athena. How you doing today, Jane?
1: Oh, I'm I'm doing just fine, thank you. I I got I realized just like how much of a routine we've slipped into. Yeah. Because you usually you do the intro and then you launch straight into how you doing today, Jane. And so when you like took a second, it like I felt myself being momentarily like catapulted out of my body. Like, shit, do I need to bust? Has something gone wrong? What do I do?
0: You were worried that I had been like assassinated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a sniper's bullet had crashed through the window, mid sentence. You speak you've been speaking too much truth about the Percy Jackson books.
0: It's true, Rick Riordan's put out his fucking, his goons. God, we can't talk about goons anymore after last episode.
1: Well, I was gonna say, it's the guys from the cave.
0: <laughs> Christ. Oh. How are but, you, Jacqueline? You know, I'm doing alright. i I'm a, We're gonna record this, then I'm gonna, gonna bust into editing mode and uh, laundry mode. Uh, if you've got
1: laundry to do, I can edit. I don't have laundry to do.
0: <sighs> Go fuck yourself. I... <laughs> the main thing i want to do is i want to talk about these chapters uh you 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 specially prepared some summaries for us i believe
1: i did i I worked long and hard on these over a period of many days
0: exciting that that should mean they're really good i bet you think and they will be
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh chapter 37 leo Uh, Leo, Hazel, and Frank wander around Rome for a while, following Hazel's vague and not very precise magical sense of where Nico might be. Frank and Leo compete for boyfriend points, and Frank wins this round before the kids arrive at the Pantheon, a temple-slash-church-slash-tourist attraction in the middle of Rome. According to Hazel, this is where the children of Vulcan used to enchant imperial gold weapons. It's also the location of a secret tunnel that will lead the trio to Nico, and Leo is able to make quick work of the hidden mechanism to open it, although doing so attracts the eyes of a trio of American tourists who put Leo on edge for some reason. Hazel goes down the tunnel to scout it out, while Leo and Frank stand watch and have a male bonding moment. They chat about Frank's lifeline and the fact that they both lost their mothers in fires, as we get the new detail about Frank's mum that it was specifically a firebomb that killed her. The bonding is interrupted as the tourists make their move, surrounding Leo and Frank as their eyes turn gold. The Adelons are back. Chapter 38, Leo. Frank and Leo flee down the hatch, which closes behind them. They catch up with Hazel and they realise that while Piper did make the Aedolons promise to leave them alone, that only applied to possessing them or being on the ship, meaning they can still harm them. They continue down the passage, hoping to escape, when they come to a door that looks weirdly Greek for being under a Roman city. Leo cracks the code to open it and the kids enter a workshop of stuff that was confiscated from the son of Hephaestus, Archimedes, after the Romans killed him. Archimedes is apparently a hero to the cabin nine kids back at the camp so Leo resolves to lift as much of Archimedes' tech and note as he can, which is unfortunately when the Adelons enter the workshop in their spirit forms and possess two automatons and a weird floaty orb thing. Chapter 39. Leo. The orb thing tases Hazel and Frank, while one of the automatons gloats at Leo that he was the one who possessed him and made him fire on Camp Jupiter. Leo ducks into a separate work area and locks the door while he works his engineer brain magic to come up with a solution, working on another disassembled orb. He almost has everything he needs to hijack the machinery in the workshop and use it to fight back against the Adelons, except a critical passcode. He has no time to figure it out, and no idea how he'd do it even if he had time. So he turns to the one thing that could help, Nemesis's fortune cookie, still in his tool belt. He cracks it open. Chapter 40, Leo. Sure enough, the right combination is in there, and Leo uses it to quickly dispatch the Adelons, melting down the wiring in their host so that they're trapped in eternal torment. Unfortunately, this W doesn't last for long. When Hazel wakes up, she realizes that the workshop is a dead end and Nico can't possibly be down here. The reason her senses let her in here was because Nico's sword was planted under a pile of junk in the workshop, which threw her off just enough to lure the three demigods into the Earth. Since they're in her domain now, Gaia pops out of a mirror and taunts them, showing them Annabeth getting her ass kicked by Arachne, and Piper, Jason and Percy descending a spiral staircase into another trap, and telling them that there's nothing they can do to help their friends now. Leo melts the mirror she was projecting herself through, and the three start coming up with a plan to get out of this mess. So, Jacqueline, what do you think of these chapters?
0: I, I'm commending you on the. Just, I, those were very good chapters, speedy, <laughs> and also uh, d- done with, with some good conciseness. Thank you. Uh, you know, I thought these were pretty good. I mean, here's the thing we have to say immediately. I don't know if you noticed this. These are our last Leo chapters. Wait, they are? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I weirdly i feel like that fits
1: actually because a lot of the, a lot of these chapters i was thinking man this is what i like about leo as a character
0: he gets sort of a victory lap here right like he, <laughs> this is a good it, it it like this is a good showing of who leo is who he can be also who he can be at his worst um oh yeah this but... is,
1: we're getting the full spectrum of leo here
0: which is good. Like he's not just getting the he's not getting the hero's glory. He's he's being shown as a person, and he's getting to confront sort of the the things that have played him throughout the book. And I think he's sort of set up pretty well at the end as well for for showing up later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed them. What about you? Oh, same. Like I,
1: Leo, Leo takes some L's in these chapters, but I think that's that's always in the service of like who he is as a character. Which is an abrasive little shit who sometimes takes the joke too far. And I feel like that—that's always focused in on, it and it's always good. And I just—I—I I like Leo, and I like spending four chapters with him.
0: Same, same. It's—it's <laughs> it's kind of sad to see him go, even though I'm, I'm sure he'll—I'm sure he'll show up again. This is probably not the last we'll see of Leo Valdez.
1: Oh, definitely not. We still, we'll, we're going to need, well, we're not getting Hazel and Frank chapters in this book, and we're going to need um, some kind of resolution on the love triangle bullshit, so he's going to turn up again. I
0: mean, presumably, right? I guess we don't know that this isn't going to be, like, a big cliffhanger.
1: <laughs> God. Leo, Leo and Frank's rivalry is so strange.
0: It's really weird, and it, this is... Yeah, it's really weird. It's marked by some some of the like most just like kids being mean to each other in the, in the entire series. Mhm. Uh and like like you said, it's boyfriend points to to take from freaking jackets. <laughs> <laughs> it's like who is the Edward or fucking Jacob going to be? And I I don't know. I I'm not having a ton of fun with it, but I do like how it kind of turns out here.
1: I think I, this is this is all worth it entirely for the uh, the line from the start of these chapters. Let me find it. Uh, Frank seemed happy to plod along like a big sheepdog. Hmm. Leo wondered if he could turn into one of those, or even better, a horse that Leo could ride.
0: Uh huh.
1: Leo, it's... what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> This doesn't it's go anywhere. Absolutely... It's not a thought that he elaborates on. He just thinks, it'd be cool if Frank was a horse that I could ride.
0: <laughs> if you had a shape-shifting friend, uh-huh. you have to admit that you would think this too.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: I, I,
1: I Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that this isn't how... that um, Hazel has not actually ridden Frank into battle on a horse yet. Because I, I guess like she, it... she has Arion, but still.
0: I feel like the idea has come up. Like... People have talked about riding Frank at some point, like maybe it was in the last book, but never so much as here. You know, you know what I wouldn't say to my shape-shifting friend, though.
1: What wouldn't you say, Jacqueline? I might
0: not. I might not say something like, "Hey, you should shape-shift into something thinner."
1: Yeah, because otherwise you won't be able to fit down this hole in the ground.
0: You fat you ass. You fat fuck. <laughs> Leo, what the fuck? I, what's wrong with him? <laughs> Does. I, I'm starting to think from these chapters that Leo hates fat people.
1: <laughs> so this is this is kind of one of the things, one of the few bits of Leo being abrasive in these chapters where I'm not entirely sure how we're supposed to take it, because Leo um, is is very uncharitable when he's describing the like the tourists that the Adelons are um, possessing, like he he refers to them as like overweight manatees. And, like, uses yeah. manatees as the shorthand for the rest of the thing. And he makes that joke about Frank. But also, this isn't that far off from how the narration is talked about fat people for the rest of the series. I feel like Rick should have the self-awareness to be like, I'm making this kid be a little shit by saying this. Maybe that means that I should dial it back when I'm just describing this stuff.
0: No, it's such a dissonance, because, like... Leo is obviously being an asshole, mm-hmm. um, w- w- and saying that to Frank. But the way that these guys, the way that these guys are described in like the same chapter, is uh, like I, there are these overweight middle-aged dudes. They're complaining about the heat. They're manatees. Their legs were big and pasty and covered with spider veins. It's these like, I guess like quote unquote like gross out descriptions. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to think they're like nasty, and. Pairing that up with, like, oh, Leo is, Leo is like, being rude really makes me think, like, Rick Riordan just has no sense of, like, it, it feels like he cannot reflect on the self. <laughs>
1: <laughs> God, yeah. Yeah, that really is the vibe.
0: But at the same time, the way that Leo is portrayed as being abrasive throughout these chapters kind of fits the same thing. When Leo is being a bit of an asshole to... Like Frank and Hazel about well, about being thinner. I think that's a little bit more on purpose. But like when when he says like, oh, you know, Romans are pretty stupid. They wouldn't be able to do. They wouldn't be able to do all. They're like <laughs> they're not complicated enough. Uh, he's not really doing that on purpose. It ends up becoming clear.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is this definitely plays into like the thing that uh, Leo has kind of said about himself before, which is like he's not very good with people. He's better with machines, and he, you know. He doesn't have the the social mores to realize that he's insulting Frank and Hazel. Whenever he's like, "Yeah, the the Greeks are smarter than the Romans," don't you know?
0: Yeah, he's like not trying to start shit, but his instinct is to be an asshole, and he doesn't realize <laughs> it. Which makes sense with like his entire life. This is Leo. I'm going. I'm banging on this drum. Leo is one of the most well sketched out characters in the series. Definitely. Uh, I I have a whole big thing to go into about this later.
1: Ooh, interesting.
0: But for boyfriend points, at least I'm I'm going to give it to Frank for the most part here.
1: Frank wins out mainly because he doesn't do anything in these chapters. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't actively fuck anything up.
0: I mean, what do you think? Uh huh.
1: I do think it's funny that like at the start of the chapters, uh, Leo is like so tired and fed up and like too hot from walking around Rome that he does just start like. Like sniping at Hazel and clearly has stopped giving a shit about the competing for her affection thing, and Hazel yeah, responds yeah. by just pretending he doesn't exist.
0: Uh, basically, right? Like,
1: you sure are some idiot teenagers.
0: Yes, yes. And Leo has never actually been like in love with Hazel or something. Like that's mm-hmm. never actually been on the cards.
1: Yeah, and it's a good way of showing that, like, unlike Frank and Hazel to a degree, this hasn't like subsumed his entire personality.
0: Like mm-hmm, depending mm-hmm. on the
1: circumstances he might just be like actually I am tired and I want to drink and I want to sit down and that is more important to me than the love triangle bullshit right now whereas with yeah, Hazel and Frank absolutely. whenever they're in the same scene together they are just talking about this all the time
0: I feel like Leo and Frank would almost make the better pair here <laughs> uh, they, at least they get sort of a I mean not to say that Leo and Hazel haven't gotten their like, hashtag bonding moments they did with like learning about Sammy mm-hmm but leo and what do you think of leo and frank bonding over their uh their their mom's dying
1: so i just i want to be clear you think that uh while leo is having the thought about it, i wonder if frank could turn into a horse that i could ride frank is like i wonder if i could turn into a horse and leo would ride me around
0: <laughs> he might be he no, he's he's definitely not that's <laughs> but
1: anyway yeah the the mom bonding moment this is pretty good i think uh it also it it retcons in a detail about frank's mom which i think is like just a good extra thing to have and i almost wish it had been in son of neptune which is that she specifically got blown up by a firebomb and given that frank's whole deal is being terrified of fire i think that's a good way of kind of um just emphasizing that more and playing that up that like he lost his mother and grandmother in fires
0: it it feels like the kind of thing that Rick Riordan didn't think about until this book. Like, oh, I should add that.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> Which is fine. You know that that's that's human.
1: Yeah, I, I, I wish it had been in the last book, but I appreciate that like that detail has been added because I think it does help to make that a stronger part of Frank's
0: character. Definitely, it's the part that really ends up working for me is that they're not like I, you know they don't hug it out or anything they They bond in the way that they can. They make this sort of emotional connection in the way that they can, mm-hmm. uh, which is that uh I think it's Frank says like it nev it like I never like it when people say, "I'm sorry that your mom died. Leo responds with, yeah, it never feels genuine." and Frank says, "Yeah, but I'm sorry that your mom died." and they just like that that's good like it's it, it's it's not an uncommon scene in this kind of work, but I really mm-hmm. like it. It's
1: really good, and I think you can see the shift in how uh, Leo regards Frank after that happens. Because one, one of the advantages of like how abrasive Leo can be being brought to the forefront is like, there's a moment during that conversation where Frank is like, yeah, if my thing gets set on fire, I'll die. And Leo thinks it would be really funny if I made a bunch of fire stream out of my hands and went bwahaha right now. But, like, because he kind of has a newfound respect for Frank, he clamps down on that urge and doesn't do it.
0: Not just that, but in the next chapter, we see him actually, like, he gives a warning. Like, he's like, hey, I'm going to light a little fire to guide us by the way. Like, just, like, don't freak out.
1: Yeah, I love I love that moment where he's he just, he gives Frank, like, it's not like he doesn't make a huge deal about it. He just gives him, like, a tap on the shoulder and like, I'm going to do this now. Brace yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a a really nice, subtle, uh, concise way to show that, like, yeah, these two have gotten a little bit closer now.
0: I think that's what I wanted from this, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Like, when analyzing this from, I guess, front to back, thinking about how this conflict has played out, I I feel like they have... It was a pretty... A pretty normal, if kind of surprising, like, almost enemies-to-friends scenario... Mm -hmm. like they are they are rivals and they and they become friends in a way that is fairly typical uh but that sort of came out of nowhere and then but ultimately resolved itself fairly well
1: yeah i mean i don't think it's completely come out of nowhere they did have um a little bit of a thing um when they were trapped underwater that was kind of that that was when um leo found out about frank's fear of fire
0: Oh, no, definitely. I more so meant like, uh, it's a surprising, it's surprising that the pair who have this throughout this entire book, like from the start, are Leo and Frank, uh, I think ultimately it makes sense. And this is the kind of thing you want to, you'd want to have, like there is, it's a significant source of tension on the boat uh, Mm -hmm. and it's one of the, it's one of the few significant sources of tension, uh, like internal dynamics wise
1: yeah compared to like um Percy and Jason's weird little, haha bro I could totally beat you in a fight haha bro no totally I would beat you in a fight pissing contest. this is definitely like more serious than that
0: right and that one that one could become something very serious, but it's also subtler mm-hmm like not not incredibly subtle <laughs> but it, it is it is more in the background than this
1: i also during that conversation. Um. Uh. when Frank is saying like oh yeah my mansion burned down and Leo is like he's internal, he's kind of nodding his head and t- patting his shoulder like they're there, but internally he's he's like, that's like saying that you cracked your Lamborghini and are waiting for sympathy over that uh, not only is that a very good moment, it did remind me of the best p- part of this entire series mm-hmm. which was uh the, the Christian preacher that Percy sees in Hades who died when his Lamborghini for the Lord flew off a cliff after a two-hour police chase. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it just made me think of that again. It made me happy.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I like that we we didn't look at if you're if we're looking at like the socio economic positions of characters, uh the group in the last book, Percy, um Frank and Hazel, Frank really is just like kind of a rich kid mm-hmm, and that didn't come up so much inside of Neptune, and it makes sense that it didn't like even when we learned that he had a mansion, nobody's like, you had a you have a mansion what the fuck? I think
1: yeah because like Percy and Hazel both know Frank enough to know that like he's having a miserable time now and he was also having a pretty miserable time even while he was living in a mansion.
0: <laughs> definitely whereas leo has less of that
1: perspective about him
0: yeah yeah it yeah absolutely i so i i think i think this this all worked out pretty well stop stop with the with the fighting over hazel stuff and <laughs> i w- i will be happy with them in the next books i think what if they simply became friends that would be nice <laughs> Hey, Jayan, I have a question for you.
1: Hit me with a question.
0: Uh, Who who was Mussolini?
1: Uh, Mussolini, uh, I think, according to uh, this historical research book I've been reading, uh, The Mark of Athena by Rick Ryden, he was BFFs with Hitler.
0: BFFs with Hitler. Now, could you define BFFs for me? Because I am from the 1940s. <laughs> <laughs> I... This is
1: a very silly exchange, right? It's a very, it's a very silly little um, just exchange because I guess we have to address that, like, you know, when Hazel was alive, Italy was a fascist state. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of weird that she's walking around here. I was kind of, I was kind of shocked by how quickly Rick skipped past this one, actually. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Cause, uh huh.
1: Because you know Mussolini, he had he had some things to say about uh, the Roman Empire and um, a modern resurgence thereof. Oh, yeah? Which, I don't know, it's kind of, kind of strange that in a, a series about, like, you know, the the legacy of kind of a modern Rome, uh, Rick Ryan doesn't really dwell on that. He kind of skips past it as quickly as he can.
0: That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean... This isn't, like, a phenomenon in the series, though, that that, we, that we've, that we like, carefully seen pretty much every set of chapters we've read so far.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Definitely not, like, yet another, maybe we should interrogate this thing. There's no time. The world is about to explode.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, maybe... I I think the funniest thing in the world would be if the new book comes out, and because, like, it's, it's finally not some world-shattering deadline, it's just, like, Percy trying to go to college. Mm-hmm everyone has time to be like hey what the fuck
1: wait what if it's just it's completely normal and it does this kind of stuff for the entire book but then the last few chapters are percy in like a social studies class <laughs> and that's when he can like, be like wait what the fuck
0: he's he's finally learning what politics are because he got <laughs> taken out of school at like age whatever
1: no he still goes to school he doesn't even he doesn't stay at camp year around
0: You're right, you're right. Well, I guess he missed,
1: like, half a year of school because of Juno.
0: I have to imagine he just, like, has sort of... Not that he's stopped learning. I'm sure he's doing well in school. But I I feel like there's probably... uh, There are problems with trying to learn when you're all... I mean, we know that there are literally learning difficulties Mm -hmm. when you're a demigod. Um, But I think just knowing this, the the information you do as a half-blood immortal... Uh, kind of reframes how you think about learning in school.
1: That's very possible.
0: And also, I think part of the reason I forget is because people say things like, what? Who is Mussolini? <laughs> and uh, also, like, wait, who's this Raphael guy? It feels like nobody in this series has ever gone to school.
1: This is, be- this is every- everybody is relying on Annabeth to tell them the mythology stuff. And now she's fucked off that's the real test of this of this book. How can anybody get by without Annabeth to say this is this thing from history or mythology?
0: Right. I I think the thing that surprises me is they don't even go for like the easy bit. Like when everyone's like, "What? Who's Raphael?" Leo or someone isn't like, "Oh, he's my favorite ninja turtle." <laughs> I I
1: have to believe in my heart of hearts the that would have been a thing if Percy was there because he's a New York boy. Yeah, and maybe like I don't know, maybe it seemed weird to do that from the characters who aren't from New York or something.
0: Wait, I do you think that only New Yorkers like the Ninja Turtles?
1: I think that it it, it looms more largely in your consciousness if you're from New York.
0: I because you know that there are mutated turtles living under your your very feet.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Jane, do you think the turtles are real?
1: They could be. You don't know. They're ninjas. You'd never see them.
0: I guess that's true. I... <laughs> <laughs> Prove oh. me
1: wrong, atheist. You're... <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're right, I can't. <laughs> um... I think it's
1: kind of weird that Rick didn't even like lo- um, linger on it to be like, yeah, Mussolini said some of this stuff, but uh, he said it in a bad way. Uh, and we, we like Rome in a good way.
0: Well, yeah, he wouldn't be able to do that, right? Because at this point, the book itself has already stated sometimes people use like Rome as propaganda uh, vis-a-vis... Like, the civil war and like the confederacy this
1: is true rome rome being a weird slave state has come up a few times i guess so it would be quite difficult to do the like no we like roman valleys but good
0: uh-huh uh-huh i i think that at some point i mean we went through entire series saying there has to be like a tipping point or eventually something breaks bad uh, or, like, something breaks and characters have to start talking and analyzing this stuff, and mm-hmm. it just didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't know, maybe it just has to happen eventually.
1: It May- feels like I, it has to. I hope it will. I, I guess, I'm not even saying that, like... Because I think that no matter what Rick Ryden said, if he stayed on this point, we would have made fun of it. Because yes. there's no stance he could take on this in a book published by Disney that we would agree with. But it's just, it's weird to me that he didn't, like you didn't because that this the criticisms that we're making have existed for a lot longer than we've been doing this podcast and it's weird that you didn't take a bit of time out to maybe kind of deflect some of them
0: yeah definitely oh wait you're saying we're not the first people who ever critically analyze this book
1: uh i'm saying that that might be a distinct possibility yes that's fucked up <laughs> <laughs> shit did you, only, some- you only signed on to this because you thought it was groundbreaking research
0: I really did. I I, I was <laughs> pitching shows to you. I was like, we need new things, like to really widen the field of podcasting. I said, what if we get a third host and we do like advice questions? I said, like we could do maybe like. I said, what if we like got some buddies together, drank some beers, and like played D anD D? You shot that one down pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I we t- we we almost we almost started a podcast called uh ah uh, fuck what was it. It was um, uh, blue. Scare. Real microphones,
1: real murders.
0: <laughs> uh, last podcast on the right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we we ended up with this show. There are some good bits in this first chapter, though. I like I like Leo eavesdropping on the tour guides who were speaking Spanish.
1: It's it's very good. I like I like as soon as he. He does that and is like, I I knew all that stuff because I was naturally brilliant. We get reminded that Frank is like a weirdo who doesn't curse, because instead of saying bullshit, he says centaur poop.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> maybe he maybe he knows Hazel doesn't like it. Like she's got the <laughs> she's got the old timey values, so oh, he doesn't yeah. curse anymore. I I think I like I... him.
1: I feel like he was a weirdo about, like, even minor cursing. He, like, freaks out when they were talking on the schist pile last book.
0: True, true. But maybe this happened, like, before we even met him, like, when they were just at camp together.
1: Oh, you might be right. And Hazel was like, nobody can know my secret, but she also, like, covers her mouth and, like, fans her face whenever someone says a swear word. It's like, oh, my, I never...
0: (laughs) Uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. Leo... You know, I have a soft spot for Leo. I think one of the things that dears him to me the most here is that he just has no—he's entirely indifferent to Rome. <laughs> <laughs> like he goes to Rome and he—he's not like, whoa, the majesty of it. The—he's—he's he's not taken in by the aesthetic. He's not giving into astonishment. He is just like, all right, this place sucks and it's hot. It's just, Let's mm-hmm. get through this.
1: What's going on? Who's this statue? I hate this. Can we go home?
0: <laughs> And you know what? That's <laughs> valid.
1: <laughs> That's fair. I because he's. I feel like it's kind of. Rick Ryden is like he clearly went to Rome to do research for this book, I think, and is like trying to get as much of his holiday on description on display as possible. And I feel like we got the like the nice romantic angle of it with um, uh, Percy and Annabeth going on the little like uh, lunch date. Uh, And now we get the uh, much shittier, more tourist trap-y angle of it from Leo, where he's like pointing out that, like, yeah, there's this beautiful fountain statue of a guy who appears to be pointing at a McDonald's, Uh and there's like, there's tourists everywhere, and everyone's hot and sweaty, and I want to sit down. And the people, the the traffic is absolutely insane, because it's just people on little scooters, like, running into each other and stealing purses.
0: God. (laughs) I think this is this is an important perspective to include in the book because I think as soon as we just leave as soon as we enter Rome and if nobody had any perspective on it other than like whoa the amazing historical place that has so <laughs> much like this is it would immediately become like oh yeah what this book is saying is that Rome is the most important place in the world right
1: true this this is making me uh rescind my criticism from a couple of weeks ago where i said that i was pretty sure that rick was getting kickbacks from the tourism board of rome i which, feel like you know, he's, he's cheated himself out of that
0: which you know they probably don't have the fucking like you cannot show a show a villain holding an ipod thing <laughs>
1: is that but. a thing
0: oh yeah that's ri- have you seen glass onion oh yeah there's a scene where, there's I guess, there's a scene where a guy who is portrayed as an asshole uh, is, like, giving people iPods, um, but you never actually see him holding the iPod. Um, you just see, like, an arm throwing it.
1: Oh, I see. Wait, Rick yeah. Ryden has, uh, he's fucked this up. He's violated this principle. Really? Because Apollo has always got an iPod. And oh, we know that is tr- we know from fucking Diary of Luke Castellan that Apollo was a fucking asshole.
0: <laughs> That's true, huh? <laughs>
1: Apple, you need to sue Rick Riordan right now.
0: God. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do some quick math. This is episode seven ninety seven ninety eight ninety. Oh fuck! The end of this book will be episode one hundred. Oh shit. <laughs> okay, because this is episode ninety seven, right?
1: Uh, I think so. Yeah.
0: Okay, so next chapter, so we have four, we have three, and we have three episodes left.
1: Goddamn.
0: God, that that's awesome. Okay, uh, sorry. Apart from that, you know, like, there's there's some epic moments, Leo immediately clocking the secret tunnel entrance is stand out. <laughs> like, he's like, huh, they're all like, oh God, how are we going to find this entrance? He like, does a quick 360 and points and is like, I would put it there, and he's right. <laughs>
1: It's good. I love I love that he's like lamenting like, "Oh, I'm too good at this. We got trapped in this shitty underground bunker because I'm too good at uh, uncovering secret passages."
0: Right. It's the like... way that he frames everything that goes wrong as like he's framing everything that goes wrong even though even things that are not his fault as like, "Oh, I was too awesome." It's like this weird <laughs> Self-aggrand, self-aggrandizing, self-loathing—that is like him putting the fault on himself and being joke, like sort of like, like yeah, it's my fault, but it's only my fault because like I'm I'm great, and if, I don't know. It's it's a very interesting mental strategy.
1: It's just I I love I love that Leo clearly does think he's cool. Like yes. he, he's talking about like oh yeah um. I can understand mechanics just by putting my hands on things, which is how I found The Secret Passage, and also how I changed a billboard in Times Square to say, all Dell ladies love Leo. <laughs> and he's like, you clearly do not know how much of a little dweeb you are. Yes. And um, you know what? I love it.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I Can we talk about the fact that celestial bronze is actually easier to break into than like normal metal would be?
1: It is? In, in what C- way? Because...
0: The thing that Leo says is that, like, oh, we would never be able to get into the secret entrance if it had been made of, like, normal metals, but because it was constructed of celestial bronze, it still works, and so I can actually open it.
1: Well, that's, I mean, on the one hand, that does mean it's easier to break into something made of celestial bronze. On the other hand, if it was made of real metal, nobody would be able to use it at all. (laughs) So I feel like that would still be shittier.
0: I guess that's true.
1: Sorry, I know we're just talking about, like, Leo Moments TM. But I also I, I like I like a, a smart guy who is also dumb and I think at the, the moment where um, Hazel is like oh yeah this is the building where they enchanted Imperial gold weapons and Leo is like he's having this like mental image of like some guys trying to wheel a whole ass ballista up the steps and through the narrow doors to enchant it and I'm like Leo you you're supposed to be smart they, they they enchant the bolts the bolts are Imperial gold because that's the bit that hits the monster
0: Yes, the, I think they're all sort of in like smart guy who is also dumb mode in this book, <laughs> like uh, in the in these chapters specifically. Leo, Leo understands like machines, but it's it, it. also is quickly clear that he's not the one who understands narratives. Oh, uh, like when he goes up to the 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 like three perfectly constructed uh machine <laughs> warriors and is like these guys will never attack us <laughs>
1: look they're incomplete they couldn't possibly move and he like actually reaches out and knocks one with his hand
0: yeah he he on with one hand he like tips it over and laughs and with the other hand he is shoveling cheerios into his mouth <laughs>
1: Leo is the kind of character who would die in the first five minutes of a scream movie.
0: That's true. <laughs> God, God, they're they're doing a sixth one of those, you know. Of those, you know?
1: Isn't it, I It's a good thing that nobody on this podcast would have like uh, a real vested interest in what's going on with the scream franchise, and we can just move past it.
0: <laughs> uh, listen to the teen <laughs> house party.
1: Listen to that podcast. It's good.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, that that is what happens. Um, they they, they fucking attack. They are fucking under attack.
1: <laughs> they are they are fucking under attack.
0: What do you think of the? I guess the way Archimedes is talked about here.
1: This is fucking bizarre. I think. Uh huh. like we we introduced the idea of Archimedes as like a noted son of Hephaestus and a hero to the Cabin Nine kids, uh, literally in the same scene. Where we discover that Archimedes is even a thing that exists in this universe
0: i this is I'm gonna ask you a question that is inverted from uh the a different question I asked you like maybe five minutes ago. Do you think Archimedes is fictional
1: what i what I mean is <laughs> don't fucking okay. drag me like this, okay. What I mean is, it's weird that we only learn about all this stuff at the moment where we're like finding all the Archimedes stuff that is relevant to the plot. Like it's it's weird that Leo has never brought this up before. That Archimedes is a personal hero of his.
0: Yes, though I I, I was teasing, but you're right. <laughs> it, you would think if like I feel like, it's weird because we get the like oh the most famous son of blank the most famous child of blank the most famous blah 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 yeah. I, I feel like we've already had at some point someone say this person is the most famous child of Hephaestus. Uh, I Or like the most important one or whatever. I feel like Rick is just making... I mean, yes, he's making him shit up. But...
1: <laughs> ja- wait, Jacqueline, do you not think that Archimedes is a son of Hephaestus? <laughs>
0: you know what? I... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I, it just feels like whenever a new historical figure comes up it's like did you not know that they're the most important child of this god
1: i know you're right this has happened before i don't i, I can't remember if it's specifically if has just be it's like that like fucking george washington and shit
0: yeah i i and i understand archimedes what is an incredibly important like figure for like mathematics everything in the fucking mm. world um but something about the like sheer reverence paid to this guy here like oh, he wasn't he was an absolute genius he he knew beyond knowing you know that kind of thing i think Uh, i think
1: leo literally calls him like the einstein of his time
0: it's a little bit much for me it calls a little bit to like oh the the glory of the classics i don't know
1: yeah i and i feel i feel like it's being laid on too thick because it's only being introduced here like it's i can like see in my fucking mind's eye like Annabeth and Leo hanging out working on the ship because that's a thing they do all the time and uh, Annabeth is talking about like oh yeah uh, Daedalus is like one of the one of the big heroes of the Athena cabin and then Leo comes back and is, oh well one of the big heroes for the Hephaestus cabin is Archimedes and they have a little talk about that and it kind of sets up that Leo kind of uh, you know is uh, really admires this guy and then it makes this they would make this whole section come across more as like him gushing about like a historical figure that he's really interested in
0: yeah and it's really easy to add that kind of scene in i think even if you <laughs> like even if like i don't know rick is let, let's say rick writes without an outline he comes he's coming up with the, with this shit on the fly which he doesn't i'm sure mm-hmm. um but let's say he didn't think about this until half the book was already written it's pretty easy to like change a line so Leo says like wow this is so cool just like Archimedes like <laughs> chapter 5 or whatever
1: this is so cool this is exactly what Archimedes would do he says as he fires the ballista into another Roman
0: <laughs> oh god yeah
1: wait Archimedes d- got killed by the Romans he would have done that
0: <laughs> he would have he would have He'd- god he has cooler weapons than ballista though he has have you seen the movie Phantasm <laughs>
1: I don't think I have actually.
0: The, so the movie Phantasm is a pretty straightforward horror movie up until a point, uh, and like, at, which is just like, oh, there is a guy, a horrifying tall man, and he is like bringing people back to life as these weird monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then it kind of goes off the rails when they introduce the flying death spears. Uh, okay. They are these? They are just these spheres that fly in the air and like have a just like like, razor blades shoot out of them, and that is exactly what these things are that Archimedes made.
1: It's... Yeah, no, you're right. That's what these are. These these didn't give me those vibes. This is, like... Okay, these chapters have, like, weird, almost certainly unintentional parallels to Doctor Who, in my mind. In my fucking brain-poisoned mind. Where it's, like, one of the... One of the main villains in, like, early New Who was, like, um a race of time-traveling death spheres that just, like, fly around and kill people like the flying death spheres in here. Leo's first instinct when he runs away, when he's, like, cornered by these guys, is like, I can't fight them because I'm useless with a sword. I'm going to run away and find a technical solution to all of this by doing some techno-babble shit. And there's also the specific beat where he's like, I need the combination lock to finish this, but I don't know what it is, and I'm fucked now. And I need to make some kind of deal with the devil to get It's like... Beat for beat, a thing that happens in series 10 where the doctor has been like blinded and needs to get out of a room, and the companion makes a deal with the fucking devil to get the combination to get him out. Just, I don't know. This is, this is what goes on in my brain when I read this book.
0: I, Leo I mean, looks like
1: baby Matt Smith.
0: Oh my god. No, I think <laughs> that's, that just seems, I feel like that is something that Rick Riordan would probably just copy, right? <laughs>
1: Well, I, I, he copied some of it. I, if in this hypothetical situation, Doctor Who copied the combination thing from him because that episode did come out like six years after
0: this. Okay, okay, that was like a that was like a twenty sixteen thing. Hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Also, I've sent you the flying death sphere we scene.
1: Phantasm, nineteen seventy nine. New. So you can just
0: give that a quick watch. While I, while I think of what the next thing to talk about is.
1: Man, these really are just orbs with knife yeah man he bites that guy
0: god yeah the blood in this movie is very catch up
1: <laughs> wait okay it's kind of cool that it has like a thing on the back to like get rid of the blood
0: yes surely archimedes would have put one of those in too
1: i mean that's just that's why you got like a fuller on a sword
0: i guess that's true huh
1: which i guess yeah. archimedes didn't think of because greek swords didn't have those for the most part
0: no I mean, speaking of, speaking of the sword that Leo sees, this is a good, this is a good little, uh, if you're a longtime fan, you'll, you'll fucking remember this sword as soon as you see it, probably.
1: Oh yeah, no, this is a great little, like, setup and payoff within these chapters.
0: Leo, Leo sees this sword on the table in, in the chapter 39, and then in chapter 40, they realize that it's, it's Nico's sword, that they were fucking bamboozled this is devastating for sure.
1: This is, this is like just such a clever use of like what we know about the world and like the stuff that Rick has available to him, like already established where it's like, yeah, Hazel's powers mainly work off of metal detection and Nico has this cool, unique magic sword. So it makes complete sense that a villain would be able to like use that to lure Hazel to where she thinks Nico is.
0: Definitely. And it, it kind of, isn't it's kind of interesting because it's really like um playing with what we know of like dreams and it's making it so that dreams are becoming less reliable as something you can go off of. Yeah,
1: because um uh Leo mentions that like oh yeah, Percy said that he could see Nico's sword in the dream, so that must have been an illusion. I'm just filling that in because I didn't I didn't mention that in the summaries.
0: Right. And that's that's not something we've done a lot of like people haven't the villains haven't strategized around like well the heroes are definitely going to dream all of this right
1: yeah usually it's like the the heroes are like eavesdropping on the villains directly and they don't know that they're there
0: right wait at at most we uh wait
1: I just realized who who has done this before Uh uh-huh set set did this when he fucking spoke French when Carter could see him in a dream to make him be suspicious of Then.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that's true. God, that's a really good pull, actually. <laughs> uh, that is true. It's also sort of a Kronos thing. Kronos did this a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was usually more of a, like, I notice you're here. I'm going to pull you into my hole.
1: Yep, you go, you go into Tartarus now.
0: Should we talk about the cookie?
1: We should talk about this fucking cookie. Uh,
0: fortune cookies historically are pretty good. You-, you get one at the end of your meal... And you 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 crack it open. You look at the silly thing it says inside. I got a fortune cookie. Not but yesterday, uh, it says, um "No, oh, did I lose my cookie?"
1: There is so much paper on your desk that I can hear.
0: Sorry, <laughs> to me, I guess that's keys. That's a fuck.
1: None of these sound like cookies.
0: There's a slip of paper. Um. You know, I thought, that was my deodorant. Um, <laughs> um, got one yesterday that says "Good bakers always make plenty of dough." Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then I ate the cookie, and it was good. Wait, uh, uh-huh. that's
1: not a fortune. That's a fucking pun.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> fortune cookies, not not the greatest at fortunes. There was another one at our table that was like if you always do what you've always done then you'll always get what you've always gotten and that's not really a fortune either
1: I feel like the people the people who put the jokes in Christmas crackers and the people who put the fortunes in the cookies there's maybe some crossover there
0: what are Christmas crackers? what the fuck do you not are you pulling my leg? no no for real what are christmas crackers a christmas cracker is
1: like um a, a cardboard tube with two little like extra bits of cardboard on the end and you like at christmas uh you get two people uh, they each hold one end of the tube and they like pull it between them and whoever can like tear off the middle segment with all the shit in it gets all the shit that's inside it and it's got so a, it's little, like a... a little like firework inside it so that it makes a crack sound when you pull it open
0: that's, that's fun, but that's, I think you're making, like, is this like a you family tradition? No, this like... is just a normal Britain thing. Okay, okay. I realize that's this an sounds... oxymoron, but still. Do you know about wishbones? It seems like the same thing as wishbones to me.
1: It is, it is very similar to wishbones, except that the cracker has like, it'll have a little paper crown and like a little uh, shit toy or something, and usually just like a terrible Christmas joke.
0: Gotcha. The...
1: The, the fucking the baker the baker's dough thing made me think. this is some Christmas cracker bullshit.
0: Right. Well, Leo opens up his cookie in this in this chapter,
1: and it has the combination to uh, a valuable piece of technology. So it's the best Christmas, the best uh, fucking. It's the best fortune cookie ever made.
0: That's right. I mean, what do we? I think that it's an interesting choice to have had Leo sort of do this to save Frank and Hazel, um, specifically because it's cementing him as, like... Leo cares about these people, right? And I I feel like, to an extent, that's not really the character you need to give the beat to, because we already knew that Leo was, like... Leo was an asshole, but we already knew that he cared about these two.
1: Yeah, Leo is... Leo... Is, like, he clearly doesn't like Frank that much, but not to the point of, like, letting him get killed.
0: Yeah. I, I suppose... Like, it almost feels like if Frank had been given it instead, uh, that, like, that could have ooh. been, like... Oh, I... What's up?
1: No, I was just going, ooh, because I agree with you.
0: Like, that could have been, like, he doesn't really trust everyone yet. And mm-hmm. so he could... He, him making that choice... I suppose he's already dealing with enough and he doesn't he shouldn't have to deal with like oh I I have a fucking cookie that's going to eat my eye or whatever. He's got so uh, many
1: pieces of magical bullshit in his pockets. He's got like the the piece of wood, he's got the fortune cookie, and that would only be two things actually, but that's still more than most people have around on them.
0: <laughs> that's true. Uh so I th- I think my favorite bit of this rather than any sort of like significance to his character or any of that is just like the way that it this sort of plays out which is that he reads the fortune and on one side it says like seriously this is what you're using it for (laughs) um and on the other side it has the combination
1: oh it doesn't just have the combination it also has fucking wreak vengeance on gaia
0: no that's cool that's cool
1: that is cool i wish nemesis was in this book more she was she seemed cool
0: Maybe Nemesis should have been the, the the one they sacrificed the ship for.
1: <laughs> what are you talking Man. about? Just because Mr. D has historically been fairly useless.
0: <laughs> He'll definitely, he will definitely be useful in this one, even though he definitely hasn't shown up since they did that at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, what do we think? I guess we, we have a bit of time for like, what do we think is going to happen to Leo because he did this?
1: Good question, because she did say that it was going to exact some kind of terrible toll on him. I don't... I feel like the direction that this is going is going to, like, somehow interfere with his relationship with Hazel. And, like, lock that off for him forever.
0: That... Yeah, I guess so. That, that, that is pretty sad. I mean, <laughs> like... What maybe he'll just lose an eye? I mean, what if it literally is just a cookie that makes you lose an eye? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would it would. Leo with an eye patch would be kind of cool, though. True. Punished Leo.
0: <laughs> Christ. <laughs> I mean, punished Leo. I guess speaking of that, he is confronting the idea of machines in this one, right? He is. He is sort of like like. He is a he's a big engineering guy, but this time he is having to to see what machines, what terror machines can wreak, which is sort of Metal Gear Solidity, I guess. That
1: is a little bit Metal Gear Solidity, Although to be honest, I I can't help but see the fucking uh like robot endoskeletons on the wall as like the fucking no. This is another British cultural reference. This is going to be nothing to you, but it looks like fucking Preston the robot dog from Wallace and Gromit. In my brain, that's I mean, Wallace... how I see it.
0: <laughs> Wallace and Gromit at least is kind of universal, even though I haven't seen it. Not universal, but it's more common. But I I no I don't know what you're talking I about. Mean... I thought you were gonna say like, oh, it's like five nights at Freddy's.
1: I'll be honest, that also crossed my mind. But you know, it's it's all it's all it's all furries with robot endoskeletons at the end. This this little fucker.
0: It's true. I, I guess we don't go into the full f- oh, let me see. Like a virus. Oh, I like this guy. <laughs> He's, He's just, just a funny up. little
1: guy who steals sheep and feeds them into a dog food making machine.
0: That's so normal. <laughs> I mean, I we we don't have to actually think about the implications of like what does it mean to create machines that can commit violence because they are, after all, just controlled by a few bad actors.
1: Exactly, exactly. It's like it, he he got some trojans. Haha. Get it cuz it's like the virus.
0: Oh, and it's oh okay. It is also some great bullshit. That's funny actually. I that is funny. <laughs> um,
1: you know this intellectually. And yeah.
0: Intellectually. I, I I'm processing <laughs> your joke and I've understood it and I've laughed in my head.
1: <laughs> I'll take it.
0: I, I guess on the like character level, what this actually is is like he's sort of confronting the self doubt that he's had throughout of the, throughout this, and like his guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's defeating the conflict within himself, like the, because he's facing down the version of himself that started the war.
1: This is true. Yeah, the the idea of him being in like the the robot body built by a guy who he admires quite a lot, and he has to fucking kill that
0: would have been a bit more effective like we said if we'd set up Archimedes a bit earlier but mm-hmm. it still works still works uh I can I can I go into my spiel do a spiel why not I have there there's something on my like my second read through of these to take notes something really stuck out to me and it comes up like twice in these chapters but it really made me want to talk about it okay Twice Leo brings up the idea of Leo World.
1: Yeah, he fucking he brings it up. Frank is disparaging of it, and then he like uses it as a one-liner laser.
0: And I, that's that's pretty throwaway, right? That's 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 a form of like joke setup and payoff. But it really rang true to me that a character like Leo would have an idea of Leo World. Um because he has like what Leo world is to him is this like sphere of influence and understanding. <laughs> like it's, it's it's something that only Leo really gets that nobody else does a part mm. of the world that other people just don't have. And it makes so much sense to me that Leo would want to have that and would need to have that because like, if you think about his life, he has been bullied, he has been ostracized, he has been alone. And, I, I I, think sort of his life has been one of living in other people's worlds
1: Jacqueline I, I, I want you to know that I really appreciate that you're able to pull that much genuine depth out of a line that I read and my only thought was that Leo's Myspace profile has like welcome to my twisted mind on it
0: that's fair, right? That's that's the extent of what it is. But I think it, it it speaks to the depth of Leo's character that you can pull so much that I can pull like sit here and say this bullshit. Yeah, no, you're absolutely
1: um, right. Because I mean, like, he, he's even said a couple of times that like typically he's preferred being kind of a loner as much as he like tries to be a jokey little shithead. So like the idea of him having his own world is like that's something that I can see percolating in his consciousness.
0: Right. And I it, I like that it doesn't just come up in his head. It, it's not just the one-liner. It's also something that Frank can respond to. Um, like, we we see him being like, I don't want to live in Leo world. <laughs> when, when, and, but we know that Leo has a specific understanding of Frank through that quote-unquote Leo world. Uh, we see that when he, like, when he becomes a bit more sympathetic to Frank, and he, like, bonds with him, the first thing he thinks of is, how do I fix Frank's design flaw?
1: Yeah, that's that's immediately where his brain goes, where he's like, I could try and build, like, a fucking Teflon cylinder to keep the, the log in or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this this very much is, like, a solution that can only exist in Leo world. Mm-hmm. Because what the book... What all the gods and all the everyone has presented this as is not as like a design flaw, but an intentional design, a, a, a balancing mechanic, a working part in the machine that is the powerful demigod Frank. This isn't a and, bug.
1: This was a nerf that we patched in when we realized that Frank was too overpowered.
0: Right. And what Leo is saying is everyone else is wrong. This is not how Frank was designed. Actually, if I look at it with my twisted mind, it's a flaw and I can fix him.
1: <laughs> I can fix him I can make him into my horse
0: <laughs> he's just like fucking Horace Zahak uh, at, at, turning Rufio into a horse after <laughs> uh, never mind but, but I, you know I, what I mean
1: no <laughs> no you said Rufio and I thought of the of fucking Tavros Nitrum because that's what you've done to me
0: Horace is also... Hum- I'm talking about Homestuck Jane.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, he turns the fucking guy into the robot horse, doesn't he?
0: Yes, but do you, do you understand my broader point about Leo world?
1: <laughs> yes, I, I I understand. He he so, is very much off in his own little world a lot of the time.
0: <laughs> so that, that, that did compel me.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, one of the other, like, just nice... I, this has just been the Leo praise hour. But I also like how many of his lines are just kind of, like, left to hang on their own without dialogue tags. Like, it happens a couple of times when, um... Where the fuck is it? Yeah, it's, it's mostly, like, during the start of the chapters when he's, like... Like, bored and tired and wants to go home. It was like, you're hopeless, Hazel complained, so I've been told. How did you know that, Hazel asked, I'm naturally brilliant. And I just, I like the... <clears throat> Not tagging it makes it is such an effective way of making it sound so like matter of fact and like he's just he, he, it's an elegant way of making him sound like he's sick of everyone's shit.
0: god absolutely it's a it's a neat dialogue trick and it really works for him uh, uh
1: anything else we got for these chapters
0: I mean I mean there's a little bit like I like the 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 Gaia exchange at the end it's we we sort of get the idea that you know some of that more like primalcy primal there's some some more of that like primal force stuff like she says that uh she's setting all of their friends up to die by like in their own elements like their powers will betray them mm-hmm. that's very that that makes sense to me as something gaia would do
1: yeah definitely
0: and then and then Leo <clears throat> you know, just melting the mirror is awesome
1: that is cool
0: uh and and the final bit i i i think this the what's the final line he's like all right i've got a plan now listen to me as i tell it to you and then we, we we cut off i think that's perfect for leo he's setting up plans he's gonna come through swinging that fucking like industrial machine to kill all the cyclopes at the end he's riding
1: in on frank
0: He's. Oh, I save really hope he does. Please, <laughs> this book would be my favorite Heroes of Olympus book if that happens.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's <clears throat> that is a, that's a cool end, but it is is Leo's second best line in these chapters. Great, Leo muttered. Adelons who are also lawyers. Now I really want to kill them.
0: <sighs> I. And they really are taking like the world's most obvious loophole here.
1: Yeah, Piper really attached a lot of conditions to telling them to fuck off.
0: God, like, she could have just been like, "All right, leave us alone."
1: You must stay fucking five hundred meters away from us forever.
0: They would have. They would have like wily e. coyote did. They would have set up like a big boulder to fall on them. <laughs> I think the idea of like trapping ghosts in wires and then melting them is actually like it's it's weird, but it's cool. It's a it's a good way for to resolve this.
1: It's very cool. It's very um, has to getting trapped in the answering machine in Good Omens.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's just yeah, I I like that. It does mean they're trapped in there in eternal torment forever, as far as I can tell.
0: I but I guess that's fine, right? We don't care about them.
1: I mean yeah, they seem like assholes.
0: So it's fine if that happens to people we don't like. <laughs> I, like, it's, not, it's not
1: even we beat up the monster and it goes to Tartarus.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> anyway.
0: I, I think that might be everything for today, though. I think so. Uh, our intro Nazi music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix.
1: Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter.
0: We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. Uh, you can, <laughs> I I have to. You can find them at Moonshot Pause on Twitter. I I need to take a moment and talk about my new obsession, which is the new show that's just popped onto uh, the the Moonshot Network. Uh uh-huh. And well, there there are two of those. Uh, one of them I'll Slap a Promo for it at the end. It's a very good audio drama. The other, um, is. Have any of y'all heard of MILF Manor? Uh. If if you haven't, you need to go listen to Mild Mannered, which is a podcast where, uh, Andrew and his mom (laughs) sit down and talk about the show, the new reality dating shows about MILFs dating, uh, dating younger men, all of which are composed of their sons.
1: Yep. That's That sure is something that Andrew chose to do with his time.
0: And I have to respect that. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Unwise Girls. You can find us pretty much anywhere at Unwise Girls. We've got links to our Discord server, our personals, ways to contact us. Um, if you... You should send in questions for the... You should send in questions for episode 100 to our email, uh, to us on Twitter, on Tumblr, or uh, on our Discord server also. If you want to support us, you can go and leave a five-star ring review on your podcast app of choice. You can go and uh, tell a friend about us, or you can go to patreon.com slash Girls and support us monetarily, where, for just a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor, for $3 a month, you can get the Discord roll of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content.
1: Yeah, uh, like we've been saying for a couple of weeks, uh, Homestuck completely wrapped up, and we just released our like, hour-long retrospective of the entire comic. So, I mean, if you don't want to like listen to the entire thing, I guess you could also just listen to the wrap-up and get like the, the broad outline of our feelings on it.
0: Absolutely. But you should listen to the whole thing. It's really true. Uh, <laughs> and for $5 a month, you can get the Discord role of... Venus is Chosen. All of our bonus content. And a special thank you at the end of every episode.
1: Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tanner, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica.
0: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode See you next week Camp Half Blood. See you next week Camp Half Blood. Bye. Bye. Uh okay. Hello. <laughs> this is Clem Bianchi. I'm a courier, delivering mail and space, one package at a time. If you're hearing this message, I need some help. I'm trying to deliver a package to a guy on Pluto. Says his name is Gorge Flummix. If anyone knows a Gorge Flummix on Pluto, please let him know I've been trying to reach him about his box of Lunarian cheese. I know the box is full of cheese because, for the last few weeks, I've started hearing things when I touch my cargo. When I pick up a letter or a package, I hear conversations, and sometimes even see things, tied to whoever the mail is for or from. I call it the letter opener. It's yanked me into some real situations. A haunted house, a pizza delivery drag race, and even a revolution to take a city back from the bigwigs who keep its hoverboard sports engine humming. You can hear all about it on Additional Postage Required, a bi-weekly audio drama on the Moonshot Podcast Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, if you know Gorge, please tell him to give me a call. I think his cheese is starting to move around in the box.